Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. First one comes in from Bill in Mesquite. My 40-gallon water heater is located in a closet upstairs approximately 50 feet from the kitchen. It takes a long time for hot water to get to my kitchen sink and the dishwasher. Once hot, it doesn't stay that way unless the water is running constantly. Consequently, when washing dishes, most of the cycle is washed in cold or lukewarm water. This is very frustrating. I've been hearing about something called a instant hot water system, not the instant water heater. Do these systems really work? And if so, would it be a viable option to solve my problem? If so, can you recommend a brand and who to install it? Thank you for your reply, Bill. Okay, well, what you're talking about is an instant hot water system that goes under the sink. And it is, for all practical purposes, it is a tankless water heater. It's just a very small one that plugs into a 110, and it's made to operate a single fixture like the sink or the dishwasher. Uh, now, here's, here's the requirements for it. Real simple. You got to have 110 available. Older homes didn't have plugs under the sink, but if you have a garbage disposal that was hardwired in, that means there's some place where you can put a plug. So you actually could add one of these things with no problem. Uh, depending on your circuit, you may or may not be able to run the instant hot water heater and a garbage disposal at the same time. It's all going to depend on you know, the, the size circuit you have in different age homes. Again, have different circuits running to them simply because you know the stuff we use nowadays wasn't being used 40, 50, 60 years ago when some homes were built. But to answer your question in general, absolutely it can be done. And that also works for people if you've got a master bathroom, for instance, that's way away from the water heater. And it doesn't matter if it's a tank or tankless water heater. These things will work because what they do is the water that's coming to them is heated up for instant use there. But once the hot water from the regular water heater hits it, then it shuts off and you're using the hot water coming from your regular water heater. And so it can be installed like I said, in a master bathroom for the, you know, the faucet or the shower or the tub, under a sink for the kitchen, for the, you know, dishwasher and all that kind of stuff. Most plumbers can install it. No big trick to it. So I really, you can call any plumber you want. I'm obviously going to recommend to call my company, Due West. You can reach us at 972-406-0912 and be more than happy to come out and take care of installing one of those for you. Uh, as far as brand, there are different brands available, uh, and I'm not going to narrow it down to just one because it's really going to depend on the, the size water flow and such that you need. So uh, you'll just have to uh, call and check on, you know, we have to check the, the water needs and the, the power uh, available and such before I can say, here's the one for you to get. Let's see, we got an email here from Mary. Our home, which was built in 1971, has some ceiling damage. It appears the drywall has bubbled 
appearance and is separating one layer at a time. This is occurring only on one side of a false beam at the peak of the ceiling. We had a roofing company to check the attic for leaks, but they said there were not any leaks and thought it was just aging drywall. There are no water stains in the area where the damage is appearing. We would like your opinion on this problem. We are ready to start some remodeling and would like to take care of this problem before starting the project. Thanks for information that you can provide. Well, the key here is it's on a peak of a ceiling, which means it's probably on the roof rafters. The, the, that your sheetrock is on the roof rafters, same as the plywood for your uh, shingles. And I am betting, since it's isolated to one side and to just the top up there, that somebody fell short on getting the insulation all the way up, or the insulation has dropped and settled some, and that strip up there, it heats up. And it, a lot of garages will have this problem where the the paint and texture will start peeling off when when the, the place ages you know once you get past 30 40 years old it starts trying to bubble off and peel off and in fact it, it's isolated to that one section i'm betting money that that's the issue the insulation settled or or wasn't installed in that area back when the home was built that sheetrock in that area has heated up more so than the rest of it and so it's basically baked the uh, texture and paint off of it and, and it starts peeling so your fix is going to be relatively simple you're going to clean it up you're going to put a primer sealer on it texture it primer seal it again and paint it and unless you add insulation or take care of the insulation problem expect that in another 15 20 years or so it may happen again uh, but you know what by that time, you're probably ready to paint again anyway, so you can deal with it then. Or the next time you put a new roof on, you can add insulation then. I would not start opening everything up to add insulation to that one little section, though, to cure this problem up. Like I said, I'd go ahead and do my painting, texturing, and all that and be done with it at this point. Danny, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. It's, it's a nice day, really. I don't care if people do complain. It's a little cool outside. But my question is, we have a rental house that we're living in. It was built back in the early 80s, so you can imagine the windows that it has on it. Yep. We approached the owner about possibly replacing the windows. Now, I know a little bit about windows, and this house is brick all the way around so i know there's going to be a lot of additional costs versus the stick frame house actually for house. replacement windows uh, there's not because they there's custom cu no they custom cut them okay. if, and and slide them into the brick opening size and then attach them in through the sides instead of uh using the flange okay well then if he's not willing to do something like that, what other things can I do? I'm pretty handy myself. One of the windows was full facing into the sun in the, in the summertime. So I did put a full-size solar screen on that one to try to cut down on the heat, beating yep. in on that nice dark tan 
window frame. Well, uh, are you going to stay in the house for a long time or just a couple years? Uh, well, we've been there for a little while, and realistically speaking, they're not charging us a lot for rent. So, you know, I would hate to leave there paying what I'm paying and then have to go somewhere else of a similar size. And to be honest with you, probably pay a couple hundred more a month. Yeah. Well, there, and the reason I'm asking, there are some things you could do to help, but depending on how long you're going to be there will depend on how much you want to spend to to uh-huh. do it. Uh, they do make a a uh, plastic magnetic window that you can put on the inside, and that gives you a dead air space between the glass and this plastic uh, magnetic. And it, it's 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 a hard, dense plastic that they use, but it's clear. Okay. It's rather, it, it, but that's going to be rather costly. And once it's made for that window, it's not something you can take with you. Okay. They, they also make for weather, and it's usually used in the northern states for uh, keeping cold out. But it works well here in the summer months. It's a uh, just a plastic roll, kind of like a sheet of plastic that you can put around the window you put a strip around that it that it uh attaches to and then you use a hair dryer to heat it up and it shrinks to make it a nice tight fit and again that's making a dead air space between the glass and the inside of the home which helps kill that heat beyond that now you're going to get into window coverings and you know shutters things like that that can can help with it okay yeah we uh we looked at the the plastic that you use with a hair block hair dryer and of course it says i guess you have to have a plastic strip that you can tack in because yep. it specifically states that you can't put it on the on the on the sheetrock and everything like that and such yeah and, and like i said that that's was originally developed for northern states for the cold but it will do the heat as well but uh you know, shutters is something that you could look at because they block a tremendous amount of heat when closed. And actually, many blinds and things like that do as well. But once you close them, now now it's dark in the house. Right. And that's something my wife doesn't like. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't she either. Does. So they've got. I mean, we've got nice two-inch shutters. I mean, two-inch blinds on the inside of the house. And yeah. So of course, we, you know, in the morning she cranks it open, even on the one that's got the screen on it. But, you know, it still lets in a nice amount of light. We enjoy seeing the, seeing the world outside. We're not sure. going to live in a, in a container environment. Well, that's pretty much what you're stuck with. Okay. Now let me ask you another question. Okay. We'll have to do uh, this one quick because I'm okay. hitting a break. <laughs> but go ahead. Okay. Whatever happens, I mean, people put solar panels on the roof. Whatever happened to the solar water heaters that everybody was doing back in the late 70s and 80s? So you had to still run your water heater so much that they just didn't make money sense. And so most people have just plain quit doing them. Uh, It made more sense to go with regular solar panels because of the tax credits and let your electricity that you generate from the solar panel heat up a a standard water heater whether it's gas or electric i mean uh gas water heaters are relatively cheap to operate but they just didn't make money sense and and that's why they quit they were so expensive to do it just didn't financially work out 
And, and solar panels in general don't. The, what makes solar panels work right now is tax credits. And when the tax credits go away, so do solar panels. Okay. Right. And Danny, with that, I'm going to have to let you go because I'm up against the clock right now. Talking about solar panels real quick, I love solar panels. And I've looked at having solar put on my home and would love to put it on. And the tax credits are what makes it affordable. But the thing is, when the tax credits go away, solar panels you, are just so expensive, they don't pay for themselves. And that is really what happened to the water heaters. They, they were just so expensive that it, it just didn't make money sense because your, your water heater accounts for 20% of your utility bills as far as energy cost. And that's such a small portion of it that when you're spending tens, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars for a water heater, it just never paid for itself. And so that's why they went away. Our, our economy is driven by economics, and it's got to make money sense to, to do it. Uh, it's it's, uh, it's going to be interesting in the long run to see what happens with the solar panels. They've been increasing the lifespan of solar panels. We're, we're getting more longevity out of them. There's new panels coming out all the time, but they're still so expensive that it's really got to be looked at. But, you know, with, with the different programs that are available, you can get up to half the cost of solar panels paid for, and that's when it makes sense. Had a question come in. Uh, it's from David, and he says, I've done tile work from time to time, and I'm usually proud of the finished product. Today I'm going to do my first shower surround and just wanted to know if there are any concerns that you might share to have avoid the finished product looking like it was done by a rookie. I intend on starting from the middle of a quadrant line using a level to establish the location and I'm also intending to use mastic. Thanks for your time. All right. Well, David, if, if you're going to do a tub surround, you know, it, when you're doing a floor, you typically start in the middle of the floor and, you know, you, you pop chalk lines in both directions. So you've got a, a center spot and you start out from there. In doing a tub surround, you want to start in the middle of the wall, but at the base whether it's a tub surround or a shower, start at the base and you work your way up. You don't start in the middle of the wall and work your way out. And the reason for that is you need the lower ones to hold the tile somewhat in place as you go up the wall. So, it's, But you do want to pop a line from top to bottom in the middle so that you, you have a good center spot to start from. Now here's the issue that you'll normally run into when doing a whether, again, whether it's a tub surround or a shower, you're going to find that the walls are not square, and it's going to drive you nuts. You're also going to find that the tub or the shower base is probably not totally flat either. And so you will end up making some minor adjustments and cuts. Now, you, you're on your walls. You basically you want to start, if it's a tub, Start on the large wall on the back side. So you work your way out. When you have to cut the tile around the two corners, use the piece you cut to bring it around the corner rather than starting again in the center. So you start in the middle, basically where your soap dish would be in, in an old-style tub surround. Work your way out and around. And like I said, when you get to the corners, 
where you're going to have to cut the tile to, to piece it in. Use that same piece to come on around the wall and take it out as far as you're going to go. If you're doing a tub surround, you want to go typically about, oh, inch and a half, two inches beyond the tub and then run, get some bull nose for it. And that's how far out you want to come beyond the tub. That way you can run the bull nose down the side of the tub. Because if there's ever over flat, you know, water splash over or anything, it's better it's hitting tile than if it's hitting sheetrock. Trust me, it'll hold up a whole lot better. And then that gives you a nice finished product if you ever want to put a, uh, oh, a sliding glass door in it or anything like that. As far as attaching the stuff, mastic is the best way to do it. Uh, make sure it's one for a shower or wet area like that. You put it on and just continue. Like I said, start from the bottom, work your way up. The hardest part is making sure that you get in that center line because your two corners, you want to have the same basic cut of tile when you hit that corner. Paul, welcome to KRLD. How can I help you? Yes, I've got a question. I've got a house that's probably about 50 years old, built in the late 60s. It's a pier and beam house, but the garage itself is a concrete slab in the garage. Uh, what we've noticed over that's gotten worse over the years is that the garage itself, there's been some subsidence in the surface of the garage, of the garage floor. Yeah. So that it's kind of turtled in, in the middle. Uh, there's some closets built in along the wall and the top of the seat rock closet has come unattached from the ceiling. So it looks pretty awful. Uh, we've been trying to figure out what to do with it, whether it's something we should just jackhammer up the floor and kind of have somebody report or whether that's something that could be fixed through some sort of mud jacking or some sort of foundation type of treatment. And just want to know if you've seen that or what or if people have even bothered fixing it or how that, what, what the best way to, to, uh, fix that would be okay as a as a guy who has a foundation repair company i can tell you i've seen it lots of times and houses built in in the 50s that way the garages typically they poured a concrete perimeter beam and then they came back and poured the four inch flat work in the middle right. of the garage afterwards and and that's what you're describing is the way that's moving right now what typically makes the determination if it's something that's even remotely going to be repairable or not is the cracks that are in that concrete, how wide are they? Um, it varies about, you know, anywhere. They're not terribly wide, but they're, they've gotten a little wider over the years. The widest one is probably maybe a eighth of an inch or so. Okay. Maybe eighth of okay. an inch or a little, little wider. Uh, and, and the reason I say that, it was very common that they didn't put steel in it at that time. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't put steel in it, you are better off to jackhammer it out and just re-pour the concrete. Okay. If it's got steel and the concrete's holding together well, then you can sometimes get away with doing urethane injection. Uh, I wouldn't mud pump it because mud pump flows to the area of uh, least pressure, least resistance. Mm -hmm. And so it can sometimes pick up areas that you don't want picked up. Okay. And 99.9% .9 of the time, I tell people, no no uh, mud pumping or urethane injection in a home. Mm -hmm. You're that 0.1% you're that, that I'll say, in that particular situation, you can sometimes get away with it. But most of the time, I'm telling people, just take that concrete out and report. Because, it, okay. honestly, it's less expensive. You, you will have a better job when it's finished and something that's going to last. 
Okay. All right. That's what I needed to know. Well, thank Already. you. You bet. Take care, Paul. And 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 that's just uh, you know one of those things that can you do it the other way? You can. But here's the deal: you're going to have so much money tied up into it, and you still have something that's inferior. Put a few dollars extra with it. Take it out. Report because honestly, they didn't do them right to begin with back then. Typically, now can I say it's a hundred percent of the time? No, but most of the time, they weren't done right to begin with, so they have to be altered. Oh, let's see here. Hey Jim, I'm planning on building a house in the hill country. I've never heard of this, but the builder says that there are federal energy standards instituted in late 2017. However, he was vague about who inspects the building and or enforces the standards. The house was, has large window areas, more like a commercial building, but we've made other provisions to shield the house from the sun and increase the efficiency. Question one, have you heard of these standards? And number two, if this is correct, who are the energy Nazis? Thanks for your show and information every week. Regards, Brad. Well, Brad, I hate to tell you, but they are the energy Nazis out there. And yes, there are federal building standards. In fact, windows are, are a good example. Uh, probably six years ago, I think it is now, they changed the standard on the windows and all the window manufacturers had to up the standard as far as energy efficiency of their windows. Now, you, you hit a key mark there, though, when you asked who is inspecting and enforcing these. If you're building out in an unincorporated area where there's no city limits, no building permits or anything, nobody. Now, the state has instituted where there should be some county permits and inspections and stuff and they're still working on getting all that stuff set up and working properly but in essence nobody and honestly even if you're in city limits unless that city is enforcing the different codes nobody most cities do however enforce most of the energy codes in fact uh, like if you're in the city of dallas you've got to have a, a, a regular energy inspection by a a uh someone who's certified to do the energy inspections in order to close out your permits and everything. But again, if you're out in the county where you're not having to go through all that, there won't be anybody messing with you. So is it something to get overly concerned about? Probably not. Is it a real thing? Yes. My question for you is, why are they trying to scare you with it? Because it's something that they should be handling without having to throw up a big red flag for you, the homeowner, to deal with unless you are asking for them to do something that's below the energy standards. And honestly, you don't want to do that. And, and the reason I say that, if the, the building standards as far as energy codes and all this are bare bones minimum that you have to meet. And usually you're better off to go beyond what those standards are to make your house more energy efficient. Uh, and, it, and this is for everybody. If you're building a new home, I want you to take a serious look at using tankless water heaters. Retrofitting can be expensive, but when you're building new, absolutely the way to go. Ron, this is Jim. How can I help you? Yeah, uh, Jim, I've got a 19-year-old home that has the original windows in it that the builder put in. Uh -huh. It has an alarm system. 
but the contacts are at the bottom of the window. So if I choose to replace the windows with more efficiency windows, how does one go back? How does one go back in and I guess re, remake the contacts? In most cases, the window company will not do that. You'll end up bringing in having the alarm company come back and reinstall it. Okay. And honestly, most cases, the window or the alarm company is going to try to talk you into going with the wire wireless instead of hooking up all the wire contacts again. Okay. Okay. Well, do you have any problem in the the wireless systems now? I uh, I use or them. Have you heard of any problems? No, no, I use them. Okay. Uh, I, okay. In fact, I'm looking at upgrading the alarm system at my office. Uh, I'm adding some wireless cameras and stuff because I'm, okay. I'm I, I've had a couple of break-ins there, and the next time I'm going to catch that sob on f- film and trace his butt down. But uh, okay. Well, let me ask you this one. So that I'd have to, there'd be an additional charge for me then when the windows, the original windows were taken out, the new ones put in, then I'd have to have somebody from the alarm company to do something with those existing contacts. What are they doing? Tape, they tape the wires off or tape them? Well, if, if they're going to reuse, you know, some alarm companies would come in and just hook up the old one. Most of them, though, I think are going to try to tell you, hey, let's go wireless. And if that's the case, they're just going to push the wires down into the, the wall, cut them off, whatever, and be done with them. Okay. All right, then. Well, thank you very much for the information. I enjoy your show extremely. You bet. Thanks, Ron. Have a good day. Bye. You too. Bye. And, you know, one of the big advantages of a, of a wireless is you, they can't just cut the wires and, and circumvent them when you go with a wireless. And a lot of times we're going with glass breakage nowadays and motion sensors and all this other stuff. So alarm systems have changed, especially in really the last five years. There's been a lot of upgrades to them. So if you've got a a 10 or 15-year-old system, it may be time to to take a look at doing some upgrades with it anyways. One of the, the truly, what I think is a really good upgrade is to have it where it works off a cell phone as well as landlines or in lieu of landlines. Because, you know, if the landline gets cut and the alarm goes down, nobody's going to know the difference. But if you got the cell phone backup, people are being notified. This comes from uh, Danny, or yeah, Denny in uh, Glen Rose, and he has a dryer vent issue. How to interior wall dryer vent to roof. New wall, no drywall yet. I can still make wall 2x4 or 2x6s. Well, if you're going to run a dryer vent up, normally you're going to need more than a 2x4 uh, because a 2x4 just barely gives you enough room for the hose, so you'll end up uh, cutting the the uh, ceiling plate completely. Now, in some areas, if it's not a support wall and stuff, that won't matter. And in that case, you can go with the 2x4, but a lot of times 2x6 is better. Do you need to take it out the roof? Actually, you're probably better off not taking it out the roof. Get up into the attic and run it out to one of the eaves and drop it out the eave. And the reason I say that, by doing it that way, 
you're not having to build as much pressure to push the air all the way up. Now, yes, you still got to build enough pressure to push it on out to the eave, but that's much easier than pushing it straight up. So, uh, and you don't necessarily have to cut an opening in the eave to let the air drop out. You can just uh, have the hose come out on top of one of the vents for your eave, your soffit vents. And uh, that way you don't necessarily have to have an opening through the soffit, you know, that that has a, a flapper on it and a vent cover and all that stuff. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.